0: That's noom.com to sign up today.
1: Welcome, everyone, to Long Ball Legacies. I'm your host, Daniel Port. We are here as part of the Picture List Podcast Network. Thank you so much for joining me here on this beautiful Saturday morning here. I hope everyone's just having a fantastic holiday season for whatever holiday you celebrate around this time of the year. I hope it is going well. I wish the best for you and for all your loved ones and hope that things are going well. So we're here today to follow up on our previous episode where we talked about Fred McGriff, who had just recently been inducted into the Hall of Fame, well overdue, and actually, I hope today, in a way, what we talked about today, will shed some light on that, and really reinforce why it was silly that it took so long for Fred McGriff to make it into the Hall of Fame. But, I want to talk today about a really important baseball player, and one that I really thought to myself I wanted to give proper respect to. In retrospect, if I had to do it this way, I almost reversed today's player, and Fred McGriff, and talked about them in reverse order, but uh, I don't think that's going to be a huge detriment to the impact of this episode. I just want to make sure I'm giving proper respect, and that's because we're going to talk about Willie Stargell today, or Wilver. It seems like, historically speaking, it seems like he preferred going by Wilver Stargell, and there's stories about, say, his mom preferring Don Scully, because Scully would refer to him when he was announcing for the Dodgers as Wilver instead of Willie, but nonetheless, we're going to talk about Willie Stargell as he's more popularly known throughout baseball history. He's just a really important baseball player, and with that in mind, while I was originally going to do a Stargell paired with, say, Willie McCovey or a couple other players, I thought Stargell was important enough that I wanted to be able to really dive deep into his playing career and really give him the attention he deserves. So today will be another episode where we talk about one player And that's going to be Willie Stargell. So Willie, or Pops as he was known, Stargell, was a Pirates legend who played for 21 seasons all in the black and gold and was famous for moonshot home runs and overcoming immense racial obstacles to put together an impressive Hall of Fame career as one of the greatest left fielders slash first baseman of all time. I honestly feel like we don't talk enough about how good Stargell's resume was and really how good his career was. He was a 7-time All-Star and he won the MVP in 1979 as well as World Series MVP that same year. His 475 home runs rank 32nd all-time and 4th amongst left fielders. His 1,540 runs batted in is 49th all-time and 7th amongst left fielders. His 529 career slugging percentage is 54th all-time and his 889 OPS is 81st all-time. His 57.5 WAR is 137th all-time amongst position players, and his 64.1 offensive WAR was 81st all-time. His career 147 OPS+ is 47th all-time and 10th amongst all left fielders. And only three of the left fielders above him have more career WAR than him. Like Jordan Alvarez is in there and whatnot, and has barely been playing. So that is something to consider. as they haven't quite had the years at the back end of a career to knock some of those numbers down. So when you think about it, for 21 seasons, he had a 147 OPS plus. That's incredible. He's 47% better by OPS than the average player for 21 seasons. It's just incredible. To give you an idea of just how many monster home runs he hit, Forbes Field, and we'll get into the dimensions of Forbes Field later on, which was Pittsburgh Stadium at the time he came up, was huge. It was enormous. And... It was built in 1908, and at the time had an 86-foot-high set of stands in right field. In its history, so from 1908 to, we're now talking the late 60s, only only 18 home runs were hit over those 86-foot-high stands. Seven of them were hit by Sargell. Only three home runs have ever been hit out of the original Dodger Stadium. Two of them were hit by Sargell. Just an incredible power hitter who just hit booming moonshots. The likes of which we haven't really seen until the modern era of baseball. He was absolutely terrifying the opposing pitchers. He was a large. He wasn't enormous. He was about 6'3". But he was pretty big, and he really appeared big. He liked to intimidate opposing pitchers. He would go in... Think about this. I want you to think about this as I describe this. He would come up to the warm-up in the on-deck circle. And when you see someone warm up in the on-deck circle, usually they have a couple bats in their hands, and that's a little intimidating. Or maybe they'd have the weight on the end of the bat to warm up with, and that's not that intimidating. Willie Sturgill warmed up with a sledgehammer. That's right, he took his practice swings with a sledgehammer. That is how strong he was, and that had to be terrifying if you were an opposing pitcher. I'm, I'm telling you right now, if I were pitching and I saw a hitter warming up with a sledgehammer, I'm just signaling for the intentional walk every time he comes up. I'm telling you right now, that's, I'm just not even going to mess with that. That I, I am reading about it appropriately intimidated to find out a hitter was warming up with a sledgehammer. Just awesome. It's so cool. Uh, I love it so much. And honestly, in some ways, a player like Stargell is exactly the kind of player I wanted to talk about when I started this podcast. It's the perfect mix of larger than mythology, right? That sledgehammer gets bigger and heavier every time you read about it or someone tells you about it. But also, he was warming up with a freaking sledgehammer. <laughs> That's crazy. it's I don't know if we'd see a player do that today, and I wish we did. And it makes him this larger-than-life figure. But he also did it. And then you throw in, as we'll get into here in a minute, the unfortunately all-too-real circumstances of the racism he faced and the obstacles in his path to become a Hall of Fame baseball player. The combination of that mythology with the real-life stories and impacts is exactly the kind of thing I wanted to do in this podcast. So I, I was really excited as I was reading about Willie Stargell, to tell this story and tell about his career because I think it's a, both an important one and one that is exactly why I do this. Now, Stargell was signed by the Pirates as an amateur free agent in 1958. He would spend his entire career with the organization. Even in the, the final years of his career, there was no jumping to another team that would give him a contract, none of that. Played for the Pirates his entire career. He... Climbs through the minors at a pretty steady pace. He moves up a level every year. He makes his debut in 1962. Now, before we jump into his major league playing career, I want to talk about his time in the minors. We've often heard other athletes talk about the 1950s and the 1960s and the obstacles they faced as African-American athletes trying to make it in a professional sport. Probably our most famous example is Oscar Robertson. And his story of coming up at Syracuse and trying to make the NBA during segregation. And this made me think of Oscar Robertson a lot, reading about Willie Stargell. And he faced a ton of racism, in the minor leagues especially. So, the Pirates minor league system was in Texas originally and eventually moved to New Mexico. Obviously, that's a still segregated part of the country at this point. And it created a harrowing experience for Stargell as he was coming up and working his way up towards the majors. Now, if you read his autobiography, which I cannot recommend enough, it is an incredible read. I haven't finished it fully yet, but what I've read of it is just incredible and insightful and just a really great read. I cannot recommend it enough. But in his autobiography, Willie Stargell described the area that he played in as being made of dust, Ghosts, Pueblos, Plazas, and a deep racial hatred towards Negroes. He was isolated from the team. There were times where if they weren't on the field, because they're in segregated Texas, where he had to eat in different areas. He had to have food oftentimes because there would be restaurants that were whites only at the time, where literally they had to order food and bring it out to him. While he sat and ate it on the team bus because he couldn't come in, he had to stay overnight at different hotels and in different areas of the city than his teammates. It just, I honestly, I can't, it had to be such an isolating, impossible to deal with experience that I, I don't think I as a person would have had the fortitude and, and the tenacity to deal with that and the courage, frankly. It's just, every time I think about it more and more, it's so impressive to me. And obviously, it's haunting and horrible that he even had to go through that, obviously. And... It's fascinating to me to think about, I think sometimes people tell the history of baseball, and I want to make clear, I'm a white dude from Ohio, living now in Denver. I do not mean to come across if I speak for African Americans, or speak for African American players, or any of that. I'm not, and I don't want to. If I say something that, you know, at any point you disagree with, or you want to speak about, reach out to me, and we can, I can help tell the story better, or from a different perspective, but... Given what I, the way I've thought about it and the way I've looked at it, I just, I think oftentimes when people tell the story of the history of baseball, it always gets painted in this way that Jackie Robinson breaks the color barrier in the 40s. And that solved everything. And if anyone's being honest with you these days, we would still say we have a race problem in baseball. But it's worth noting we're in the 60s, or late, we're in the late 50s, early 60s. And this is still a problem 20 years later. And so it's worth just keeping in mind that we don't just get the color barrier being broken by Jackie Robinson. And we've solved the problems of black Americans in baseball or really in the country. It took so much more time and was still so rough for these players coming up. One particular story that Sturgill tells in his autobiography that really just hit me hard and stood out to me as something I couldn't comprehend as a white man. So he talks about a man who confronted him. It was a white man who confronted him as he was walking to the ballpark to go play a game that night. And he's confronted by a white man with a shotgun in his hands. And I won't read it word for word because there's a, there are words that I can't and, and won't say out of respect. But he said... He didn't fool too long with me. He stated his purpose up front. He then called Startle a racial slur that, again, I will not repeat or say out loud. And he said, if you play that game tonight, I'll blow your brains out. And again, for the record, I am basically like the walking equivalent of like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Someone basically pointed a gun at me and told me not to do something. I'd do whatever the hell they said. And it's incredible to me that Startle, terrified goes and plays baseball that night. Like, I don't I don't know where you get that courage. I can't fathom it, but he had it. And to even overcome that is just something I can't, I, I cannot comprehend. This really blows me away and makes me respect Stargell and his story and is what he's accomplished so much more. Another quote that Stargell had, he gave an interview with Elliot Asinoff, who's the famous author for the book Eight Men Out. In the interview, he stated, what hit me then was my surprise at the prejudice. When And then Asenov, who had encountered prejudice in the minor leagues as a Jewish ball player, because he would have played during the time. I think if you listen to the episode I did about Hank Greenberg, he would have played during the time period where Jews in baseball were heavily prosecuted, as they were throughout most of the country at the time. And Asenov had said, it can make a man bitter. And again, I think of Oscar Robertson, who... Openly, a large chunk of his story, despite being obviously a beloved basketball player and and a good man and all these things, has often talked about the anger and the bitterness that that time period brought out of him. And it hit me that necessarily this isn't how Stargirl responds. He says here, you have to come to a decision as to who you are and what you intend to do with your life. I knew I had to make the big decision, either play ball or go back home. But I wanted to play ball so badly. I just said to myself, I wasn't going to let nothing interfere. Nobody had the right to stop me from trying. I just wanted to play ball. And it's something that's this thing that feels bigger than just baseball, right? That, that obviously, for Stargell, it was about playing baseball. But when taken into the context of the time period and the context of, of the greater things that baseball can mean and that sports can do, it takes on more meaning, I feel like, and takes a, a bigger meaning in, in, in what that represents and what it can, how it can impact a community. Again, just nothing but so much respect and admiration for what Stargell went through and what he was able to accomplish here. Because again, at this point, I'd have been like, if no one wants me playing, I'm not going to play. And it takes someone with more intestinal fortitude than I have to do that. It just blows me away. Now, somehow Stargell perseveres through the minors for these years, and indeed he makes his Major League debut in 1962, where he was able to play on a more integrated roster. The Pirates at this time had several black players on it, including Roberto Clemente, who really would serve as a mentor for Stargell in many ways as he was coming up, and he plays in just 10 games that year at the age of 22, and he does fairly well hitting two ninety with an eight oh five OPS, so That was good for... A 114 OPS plus, but it's only 10 games, right? Just a little cup of coffee. Really, 1963 is his true rookie year. He ends up playing in 108 games that year. He does all right, considering he's just 23. He hits 11 home runs with a 243 batting average of 717 OPS. Now, at first, that sounds low, but it's worth noting that 717 OPS was still good for a 104 OPS plus. So he's even with that lower OPS, was still 4% better than the average hitter in the league at the time. So it was a a lower offensive era in terms of output and OPS. He ends up worth just 0.7 war that year. And this is going to be a trend we see throughout his career. Baseball references war is not kind in its evaluation of Stargell's defense. And almost for his entire career, really, he's a poor defender. Uh, And there was a lot to win in that. Some of it was that Forbes Field was enormous. And so it was a lot of ground to cover. But also, basically, his entire career, Stargell dealt with bad knees, and that obviously slowed him down out there. And really, though he would have probably made better defensive career at first base. But the Pirates already had an established first baseman, so they weren't going to play him there. And so they left him out there in left field, and it hurts his WAR numbers really throughout his entire career. But Stargell continues to improve, and in 1964, it's, you can see it starting to click in the place for him. He plays 117 games, hitting 21 home runs with a 273 batting average and 805 OPS, which is good for a 124 OPS plus. Now, this will be the lowest OPS plus he'll put up in a, in a season until 1981. So, from 1964 to 1981, which, yes, you're hearing that correctly, for 17 straight years from here on out, he doesn't put up an OPS plus below 124. That's crazy to me. I just, that is consistency. An excellence over a long period of time. You could basically have been born in 1964 and been a junior in high school before Willie Stargell put up a season below uh, 124 OPS+. Plus. That's just, it's just crazy. It's fun to put that in perspective that way. Now, it's worth noting the Pirates don't make the playoffs this year, but Stargell does go to his first All-Star game. In 1965, he plays his first full season at 144 games, and you can see the growth continuing. He hits 272 with an 829 OPS, which is good for a 130 OPS plus. He hits 27 home runs, 25 doubles, 8 triples, and 107 RBIs. He's worth 3.3 war that year and receives the first MVP votes of his career while going to his second straight All-Star game. Again, the Pirates don't make the playoffs, and actually, to cut to the chase, they won't make the playoffs until 1970, but... You can already start to see the beginnings of what the future would hold both for Stargell and for the Pirates. Now, 1966 would be Wilver's best season so far, as he hits 33 home runs with a 315 batting average, 30 doubles, 102 RBIs, and a 962 OPS. This is good for a 164 OPS plus. He's an all star again, but somehow he actually gets fewer votes for MVP this year than he did the year before, despite having a much better season. And really, this is just because. It was a really stacked MVP race in the NL that year. He was going against Pete Rose, Hank Aaron, Juan Marshall, Felipe Alou, Dick Allen, Sandy Koufax, and his own teammate, Roberto Clemente, who I believe won the award that year. So it's understandable that he finished that far back. But it's just, it's weird to have a better season and get less MVP votes. Now, we run into a bit of a hiccup in 1967 and 1968. These both were down years for Stargell. Rumors started to swirl that he was struggling with his weight and his conditioning, especially at the start of seasons and entering spring training. And it also sounded like, from the historical records I was reading, that this bothered the pirates a lot. And so they tended to really push and pull at him about his weight, assigning him trainers or things like that. And it sounds like this was a, a bit of a problem here for these two years. And one of the other things that started to do was push the media into talking a lot more about his shortcomings instead of his, his strengths. Talk about his defense, and he at the time he struggled a lot against left-handed pitching, and that got brought up a lot. It was just a really rough time for Stargell. He hits his 20 home runs in 1967, and 24 home runs in 1968. But in that year, his average plummets all the way down to 237. And at this point, then, a lot of folks are wondering if Stargell was more of a flash in the pan. And it's interesting again, worth noting, I didn't, like, find anyone talking about this or referring to it specifically with Starkville, but this is 1967-1968. Not an easy time to be a black man in America, uh, and we're talking 1968, April 4th, is when Martin Luther King Jr. is assassinated, and you have to imagine all that stuff had a lot of impact on the players of Pirates were actually, at the time, the blackest team in America. They had 11 black players on their 25-man roster, which is far more than most teams in Major League Baseball. And they're very famous, actually, that year for coming together right before the season started. Because Dr. King is assassinated on April 4th in 1968. And the first games of the season were on the 8th and the 9th of April. And the Pirates came together as a team. And both the white and the black players decided that they didn't want to play those two games. They wanted to postpone them out of respect for Dr. King and for what he did and what he was able to accomplish, but also for the players to mourn that situation. There were several players who had personal relationships with Dr. King, and it was one of those things where you really got a sense of what the impact of that and of that time period was through that. So it's possible that had an impact on those seasons as well. I wouldn't be shocked at all. But there were some other things at play there. In 1969, we see several changes happen for Willie Stargell, and they end up having a huge, huge, huge impact, not just on that next year, but on his entire career. The first was, what they were finding out was that as Stargell would come in, with starting the season with some of his weight and conditioning issues, the Pirates would freak out and push him to lose all that weight, and he'd wear himself out trying to lose all the weight, and that would sap him with some of his power and some of his uh, stamina and endurance, and getting them to back off a little bit on that seemed to really help him not wear down as the season went on or get off the slow starts at the season because he was working so hard and working out so much to try and lose that weight at the time. So I think that was one piece of the puzzle. But the big changes that people talk about a lot, at the time, Stardew was like a pretty extreme pull hitter and was trying to pull everything. And Roberto Clemente came to him and said, I think you should use a heavier bat. It'll let you, go to, it'll let you hit for power to all fields, and eliminate a lot of the holes in your swing when if the only thing you want to do is pull the ball, you let the pitchers dictate how how to pitch to you. They get to tell you what you're going to be able to do rather than you being able to adjust to them and dictate how an at bat goes. And so Clemente pushes Stargell to use a heavier 38-ounce bat, which really works for Stargell. It unlocks, him, uh, unlocks for him power to all fields, and he really starts to blossom with that heavier bat. Then the other big factor here was the Pirates moved from Forbes Field to Three Rivers Stadium. Now, Forbes Field was enormous. It measured 365 feet to the wall in left field, 462 feet to the wall in center field, and 375 feet to the wall in right field. Though that's a huge ballpark. I don't even know if we see any ballparks that big these days. That will put a dent in your home run numbers. There's no way it couldn't, right? What did Three Rivers Stadium look like? It had much more manageable dimensions. It was 335 in left, 400 in center, and 335 in right. That is going to lead to a lot more home runs hit in that ballpark than in Forbes Field. We see the effect that these two changes had for Stargell in the Summer of Love there in 1969, as Stargell has a fantastic season that year. He hits 29 home runs to go along with a 307 batting average, a 9.38 938 OPS, which is good for a 163 OPS plus. He had 31 doubles, 92 RBIs, and 89 runs scored that season. Somehow, this is bizarre. Despite hitting 347 with 14 home runs and 51 RBIs in the first half of the season, Stargell does not make the All-Star game that year, but he does receive MVP votes. Jumping in the 1970, we see the power stick around, but we see a big drop in average, f- down to about 264. But the power does stick around as he hits 31 bombs. In 136 games, along with 18 doubles and 85 RBIs, which adds up to an 839 OPS, which is good for a 125 OPS+. plus. Stargell misses out in the All-Star game again, but the Pirates do make the playoffs for the first time in his career here. They lose in three games. Stargell plays pretty well. He hits 500 over those three games with a 1.122 OPS. He's a bit up and down throughout his whole career in the playoffs, but he did pretty darn well here. So 1971, though, is the year it all changes. This is for Stargell and for the Pirates. In his first full year in Three Rivers Stadium, he hits a league-leading 48 home runs with a 295 batting average, a 1.026 OPS, which is good for a 185 OPS plus, with 125 RBIs, 26 doubles, and 104 runs scored. He does make the All-Star Game that year and finishes second in MVP voting to Joe Torre, of all people, who hit 363 with 137 RBIs and 230 hits that season. Stargill was worth 7.9 war that season, which is a full two war higher than Tory that season. You have to wonder how that vote would have gone differently under modern circumstances. It's probably a pretty solid argument even for Hank Aaron that year, who had 47 home runs with a 327 batting average, fell just behind Stargill in war. But either way, one of those two definitely should have won that year based on their impact as measured by war. Now, it's worth noting, Stargell did this while battling a knee injury all year long, which is very impressive. The Pirates make the playoffs, and while Stargell didn't play particularly well, he hits just 132 in the playoffs all throughout the entire playoffs, the Pirates make a run all the way to the World Series, and they end up beating the Orioles, winning their first title in over a decade, and just the second Pirates World Series since 1925. So, big deal, huge deal, and Stargell's at the center of this Pirates team that has now won a championship here with Roberto Clemente and company here in Pittsburgh. Now, despite the offseason knee surgery that Stargill has to clear up the knee injury that was plaguing him in 1971, 1972 is another great year for the now fully unleashed Stargill as he hits 33 home runs with 112 RBIs, 28 doubles, and has a 293 average with a 930 OPS, which is good for a 164 OPS. Plus, he's an all star again. He finishes third in MVP voting. This time around, though, he wasn't really robbed. You could make an argument in the year before that he should have won the award. This time, he's good, but not better than Johnny Bench, who finished with an 8.6 war. He only puts up 3.9 war that year, to put that in perspective. So, while it's good he did finish there uh, in third, I don't know if I would have bumped him up much higher than that. The Pirates do make the playoffs again, but they lose this Cincinnati in five games now and Stargell struggles mightily in this one as well, Imagine just one hit in the series across those five games. Now, 1973 is perhaps Stargell's best individual year as a pro. He clobbers 44 home runs and has 43 doubles to go along with three triples, a 299 batting average, and a monstrous 1.038 OPS. This is good for a 186 OPS plus, which is just an absurdly high number. It's So good. He also had 119 RBIs that season, 106 runs scored. His 90 extra base hits is tied for 17th all-time in a season. He is named an All-Star for the third year in a row. And he finishes second in MVP voting to Pete Rose. It's fascinating. So Rose is worth about one war more than Stargell's 7.2 war that year. But I'm going to actually go against my grain here and say I'm going to ignore the war in a certain way. Because the numbers that Stargell puts up that year are... In my opinion, better than what Rose does. Yeah, Rose put 230 hits that season, led the league there. He hit 338, But he actually scored nine more runs than Stargell and had 50 fewer RBIs and 39 fewer home runs. It's just one of those things where you're like, I I get it, and I get the war really doesn't lie, but I would have given it to Stargell in this situation where he put up a 7.2 war, which was a fantastic season, and clearly in the counting numbers was well beyond what Rose was doing. It's just that time period valued different things than we do today in a lot of ways. Now, somehow, despite, by the way, this huge performance from Stargell, the Pirates missed the playoffs, and he ends into 1974 with his star on us about as high as it's going to get. It's really hard to do better than what he's been doing these two years before. And he'll keep it going for a little bit, but never quite reaches... This height again. Now he receives a new contract from the Pirates in the offseason, and some of these knee injuries that I've been talking about are starting to catch up with him. He would hit over 25 home runs just three more times in his career after this year, and would play over 125 games just once after 1974. He is pretty darn good though that year in 1974 as he does hit 25 home runs with 37 doubles in 140 games. That season to go with a 295 batting average and a 944 OPS, which is good for a 168 OPS plus, with 96 RBIs and 90 runs scored. That's still a fantastic season. He finishes top 10 in MVP voting that year, and the Pirates returned to, to the playoffs. They do lose to LA in four games, but Stargell is not why. He was fantastic. He gets two home runs with a 400 average over those four games, uh, and overall just plays great in the playoffs that year. We moved to 1975. Starter plays in just 124 games thanks to a broken rib, but he still hits 22 home runs with 32 doubles and a .295 average with an 891 OPS. That's good for a 148 OPS plus. He's got 90 RBIs and 71 runs scored. He finishes seventh in MVP voting, and somehow in both '74 and '75 he misses the All Star game. I don't understand how you could be, f- f- say, in 1975, 48 percent better by OPS than the average player and not make the All-Star team, but whatever. At this point, they have also had him make the full-time move to first base. So he's no longer playing left field. He's now exclusively at first base. The Pirates do make the playoffs. They lose to Cincinnati in three games while Stargell hits just 182 in the series. And we're starting to see not a full-on decline, but we're starting to see the age and time and miles catch up to Stargell here. Now, he's 36 at this point. And in 1976, he plays in just 117 games as he ends up missing a lot of time taking care of his wife, who had suffered a brain aneurysm that season. Uh, completely understandable. Obviously, you put your loved ones first here. Stargell admitted to being very distracted this season, and you can see it in his performance. But I think we can say all agree that was understandable given what he was going through and what his wife was going through that year. Now, in 1977. He's good when he plays. He's fantastic, but only plays in about sixty-eight games that season because he misses much of the season after wrecking his elbow during a brawl in July. So he does not play much in nineteen seventy-seven. It's pretty much a lost year for him. Then we get to nineteen seventy-eight, and this is a year of rebirth for Starchel. He's thirty-eight at this point, right? So he's finally healthy. He's undistracted. He manages a true vintage season. He hits twenty-eight home runs with eighteen doubles, a two-ninety-five batting average, and a nine forty-nine OPS. That gives him a one fifty-eight OPS plus on the season. He goes to his final All Star game this season and finishes ninth in MVP voting. He's worth three point seven WAR that year, but the the Pirates do not make the playoffs that year. Now, if Stargell's career up until this point makes him a Hall of Famer in many ways, the nineteen seventy nine season is what made him a legend. So he's thirty nine at this point, right? This is when most people are retiring. This is when most people, even if they are still playing. Are fading in their production, and Stargell doesn't. He hits 281 that season with 32 home runs in 126 games, and has 82 RBIs for the 904 OPS, which is good for a 139 OPS plus. He ends up the co MVP of the league with Keith Hernandez, and this all just leads to great things for the Pirates as they make a run all the way back to the World Series. Stargell's absolutely fantastic in the playoffs. He wins both the National League Championship Series MVP. And World Series MVP, which combined with winning the regular season MVP, is a feat that has never been replicated in the history of Major League Baseball so far. In the Championship Series, he hits 455 with two home runs and six RBIs. While in the World Series, he hit 400 with three home runs, four doubles, and seven RBIs, including the deciding home run in Game 7 of that World Series. So now he's brought home two different titles for the Pirates. And given where the Pirates have gone since then, that really only adds to his legacy. In fact, he is still the last 40 home run hitter for the Pirates at this point, dating all the way back to the 1970s. Now, this is really his last hurrah, so to say. Uh, the Magic win last because over the last three years of his career, his knees are shot. He was in constant pain. He describes it as life was basically living in pain at that point. He wouldn't play more than 74 games in a single season. In fact, of his last two, two years of his career, he was basically used in pinch-hitting duty, and that's about it. So finally, in 1982, they give him a year-long farewell tour, and he retires a Pirates legend here, coming off of that World Series win. Sturgill would continue in baseball. He coached for a while. He coached for the Braves. He jumped around uh, a little bit in the league there. But by the 1990s, his health starts to fail him. A, a wide variety of maladies. Uh, things related to his blood pressure and different things. He actually has to have one of his fingers amputated. It just really, his health starts to uh, fade. He's elected in 1988 to the Hall of Fame on the first ballot, I believe with right around like 88% of the vote or something like that. In February of 2001, he passes away from a stroke. So that's Wilbur Stargell's career in a nutshell. But before I rank him, I really want to take a look and take a second to talk about Willie Stargell, the man before we do because i think it's important to understand that we can talk about baseball we can talk about the home runs we can talk about the things that he did on the field as much as we want and they're very impressive but stargill had a huge impact off the field as well and has a bigger impact in in the history books so to say than just what he did with a bat in his hands we spoke earlier about his experiences in the minors but the racism he went through and the perseverance required. And we talked about him being an athlete in the 1960s during the Civil Rights Movement and what that meant and how that affected the Pirates. And first off, one of the most fascinating things to me, one of the most impressive things about this situation is that throughout all of that, Sturgill, oh, the book on Stargell is that he was an affable, jovial man who was a joy to be around. I, again, I don't know if I could have done that. I would have been a bitter bitter man if I had to go through the things that they went through and it's just it is so impressive to me to take all of that with that level of grace and that level of perseverance I I, really blows my mind but it's worth noting that Stargell just because he was known as a jovial person and known as a friendly man who loved playing baseball it's not to say he was quiet about black issues, and African-American rights. He spoke at length in the 1970s throughout that decade about black athletes and the rights that need to be afforded to them, how the league needed to treat them, but also spoke at length about how important it was for black kids to see black athletes succeed and how Major League Baseball needed to do more to provide opportunities and shine a bigger spotlight on their black players. He's very outspoken and a big advocate for those concepts and for those ideologies and he had just a huge impact off the field because of that and was a huge role model to a lot of players and to a lot of fans during that time period for that and again to come from the experience that he had that just speaks so much more to his character as well that he was doing that he also was incredibly dedicated to charity he worked in the community He was so dedicated to these things that he would, basically, the rumor was uh, that he would take on most anything if it was for a good cause or if he thought he could help. He had a huge impact on his community, even beyond, again, what he was able to do on the field or what he was able to say in front of a microphone. And then, lastly, when you talk about being on the field, he was considered the consummate teammate, was just considered an incredible teammate. You can look through things written about Stargell over and over and over. It is just teammate after teammate being like, no, I'm the ballplayer I am because of, of Willie Stargell. There's a really great story. I believe I got it from the, I think it was Saber, had a write-up on Stargell, and he they were quoting one of his teammates. I want to say it was Steve Blass, who was a pitcher for the Pirates, and he was having a, a kind of almost like a Yips-like struggle with wildness and when they went to throw a simulated game obviously a lot of players weren't exactly excited about stepping into the batter's box against the guy who's notoriously right now hitting batters and struggling with control and he would say that Joel was always the first guy in line to be like I'm here let me help when it was my turn to pitch he said in a simulated game Willie would always say I'll be first he did it every time he would go in the cage without a batting helmet it was almost as if he was saying go ahead hit me in the shoulder Hit me in the ribs. It doesn't matter. Our relationship is stronger than that. No one ever stood taller for me than Willie Stargell, and like that, just oh god, even hearing that it gives me goosebumps, right? That's the kind of thing you that that is the consummate teammate. That is who you want in the proverbial sports foxhole with you, right? Is the guy who's like, no, we we do this together, and it's I played sports my whole life, and I will say this. It's it's really fascinating to me. I talk about. Some of my best friends to this day are people who I played sports with when I was a kid. I still keep in touch with, I was a guard. I played football, and I was a guard. And uh, I know, if you saw me, you'd be like, this scrawny little guy. But to this day, I've played next to two tackles for most of my career. I'm best friends with both of them. And it was a lot of that, like, foxhole sort of mentality. These people looking at each other and going, I've got your back. And that is one of the strongest bonds you can make with someone. Sometimes it's one of the best things about sports. And I love reading stories like this where someone, you know, Stargell built those kind of relationships with his teammates. And it, it sounds like they would have ran through walls for him. Just an incredible guy. It seems to have on your team and just to be around. So I, I wanted to take a minute to just make sure we took that into perspective that there are things bigger than the game that a player can do. And there's an impact that they can have that is bigger than just the field, and it seems like Willie Stargell was that guy. And again, I want to emphasize that I'm a white guy from the Midwest. I I don't want to speak for African Americans to what the what the, what's the importance that Willie Stargell has, or talk about how important it is that black could see black athletes succeed, or things that Stargell talked about. But if, if I can't imagine that it isn't important, that it wasn't impactful. And I know that we still have a lot of work to do in baseball in terms of getting black athletes to feel comfortable playing in in the game of baseball. And I think that stories like Willie Sardle can help with that. And I think that we can do better. And stories like this remind us that we can do better, can remind us that the work isn't done, in terms of making baseball a safe place for people of color to come play. And it reinvigorates my desire to make that happen as well. So, again, I don't want to speak for anyone or speak to something that I may not be qualified to talk about. But I just want to say that, for me, it does inspire me to remember that we need to speak up, that we need to talk about these issues still, because there's still a problem in baseball. And you read about the strength and the perseverance that guys like Willie Stargell showed. And say, we need to do better. So now with that in the back of our minds here, keep thinking about that and keep in your heads. We're going to take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we're going to rank Willie like
0: Fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Welcome back.
1: All right. So let's let's rank. This is actually going to be a little easier than uh, some of the other cases we've had, primarily because we already have a good place to start. So, the first place I want to go is just now compare him to where we left off last episode with Fred McGriff. So, let's compare him to Fred McGriff. And the funny part is, if you take a look at their numbers head-to-head, they're almost identical. They're basically the same hitter. Uh, It's wild. McGriff technically plays two fewer seasons than Stargell, but has him slightly beaten home runs, I believe. McGriff has 293, 295 home runs, I think. And Sturgill ended up hitting 475 for his career. But then again, Sturgill has a beaten OPS plus with 147 OPS plus for his career, where McGriff is 134. Sturgill hit 282 for his career, whereas McGriff hit 284. Sturgill had basically the exact same OPS as McGriff did, but did it obviously in an era where offense was a lot more down than McGriff. They basically the exact same amount of hits, the same amount of doubles. It, like, it is literally mirror images of each other. And this is one of the reasons why I do feel like this is illuminating is Willie Stargell was a first ballot Hall of Famer, and it took the Veterans Committee to get in. And I think that that, I, like, is crazy because they're basically the same hitter. It, it is really mind-blowing to me. They basically come out, even in war, Stargell has 57.5 war for his career, whereas McGriff had 52.6 war for his career. It's just, they are basically mirror images. They're the, they're the uh, Spider-Man meme where the two different Spider-Mans are pointing at each other. That is how close they are. So now, if they're that identical, I'm going to give the edge to Stargell because I have said, it does matter to me that he had that impact. It does matter to me what, the, what he mattered culturally, both to baseball and two black athletes and two African-Americans in, in the country at the time. And also, I for accomplishing what he did, overcoming the things that he did. Those things matter to me. And so I am going to bump him up a little bit above, beyond McGriff here for that reason. Now, the question is, do we go any higher than that? And it's worth noting, something else to factor in is his impact on the Pirates. Right, This is the, probably one of the last great Pirates, him and Clemente. They were good players. We talked about jason bay i believe in a past episode there's brian giles or some of those players but if you're talking of the greats of the true great pirates it's basically Stargell and clemente and then not a lot until we get to probably andrew mccutcheon so it really it's how you really have to factor in just how important he is to pirates fans as well so now we start jumping up and because of the impact uh, again that cultural impact i'm actually gonna put in front of jose ramirez as well I think that that matters more in how we tell the story of baseball. Now, that might change as we get further the Jose Ramirez's career. If he gets up to that 70 war level that we hope he will get to and are projecting him for, then, of course, he goes up ahead of ahead of Sturgill. But I think right here, right now, because of that cultural impact, because of those things that he's accomplished, I think he's got to go ahead of him, right? So then, in fact, where I'm looking right now is David Ortiz. Now... There's a couple factors to think about here. Ortiz has a way beat in home runs, right? Ortiz hit 541 home runs. Stargell hit just 475, so he hits 50, what 70 more home runs than Stargell. But Stargell actually was again better by OPS plus at 147, whereas Ortiz is 141. They're pretty darn close to each other in most other numbers. And so when you start to think about that, then you factor in that the thing that limited Stargell's career. Because if you think of the factors that, I think, limit where we see Sturgill historically. So if you take a look at his knees, which held him back because he played in the field his entire career, in a league that didn't have the designated hitter, whereas Ortiz was the designated hitter pretty much his entire career. Because he was a terrible defender. And then you factor in the fact that, what, Sturgill plays probably the first four or five years of his career in Forbes Field, which is bigger than any ballpark you'd see in the modern era and Stargell had to hit, and he still hit home runs in, the, in those parks, but it's, it's a fascinating what-if to me to say, do I think if he had played, say, those first five years in Three River Stadium and his knees had held up, could he probably have hit just as many home runs as Ortiz? Yeah, absolutely, while still playing in the field. And I also think that then you factor in, even if it was just he got to play in Three River Stadium for his entire career, he'd probably be over that 500 home run mark easily. So, I'm actually inclined here to put him in front of Ortiz, based on those sort of factors. Now, after Ortiz, right in front of him is Johan Santana. And I think if at some point, even though I make the argument here that he probably should have won at least one more MVP, I think if he'd won a second MVP, I would maybe consider him in front of Johan Santana. But Santana won multiple Cy Youngs. He had a perfect game. He means he's got a ton of cultural impact as well uh, with his home country of Venezuela. So I think that, and if you haven't listened to the episode I do on Johan Santana with the great, wonderful Carlos Marcano, go listen to it because it's super informative, it's super great, but also really gives you a good idea of what I mean by that cultural significance. And so I think when you consider those things, I'm going to keep Johan Santana ahead of him there, but would be willing to consider arguments for that one way or another. So... I think that's right where we leave him at. is right For right now, he ends up between Johan Santana at number 14 and David Ortiz at number 15. So that would make Willie Stargell our new number 15 on the list. Again, to read that list one more time, that is Greg Maddox at number 1, Ichiro at number 2, George Brett at number 3, Adrian Beltre at number 4, Clayton Kershaw at number 5, Edgar Martinez at number 6, Sandy Koufax at number 7, Tony Gwynn at number 8, Hank Greenberg at number 9. Joey Votto at number 10. Then at number 15, we now have Willie Stargell. At number 20, we have Jose Ramirez. At number 25, we have Freddie Freeman. At number 30, we have Jim Cat. At number 35, we have Jorge Posada. At number 40, we have Matt Williams. At number 45, we have Jason Bay. At number 50, we have Mike Sweeney. And to round things off, we have Herb Score at 51. Mark Pryor at 52. And James Paxton at number 53. So that's our list. We've ranked our player for today, and really, gosh, it just it feels so important to talk about players like Willie Stargell, and to see where they rank in the history of baseball, and measure their impact, and think about it, and really just take it to heart. That's our episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be back in two weeks on Saturday, coming out with. I'm right now, like I said. Still, tentatively planning for that to be a Bryce Harper episode. I'm hoping to get a guest for that episode because I think it would be really fun to have a couple different opinions on Bryce Harper. But uh, keep an eye out for that. And uh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I'm Daniel Port. I'm your host. Again, this is Long Ball Legacies here on the Pictureless Podcast Network. If you have any questions or if you want to give feedback or if you know something that I didn't bring up or things like that, you can reach us at LB Legacies on Twitter. Or you can email us at longballlegacies at gmail.com. You can always reach me. I'm at Daniel J. Port over on Twitter. Just shoot me a message. And if you got any feedback, if uh, if there's a player you'd like me to talk about, if there's really anything at all, feedback or whatnot, just please don't hesitate to reach out. Or if you want to tell me why my rankings are wrong, you name it, I'm all about it. Other than that, everyone enjoy your holidays. Enjoy whatever holiday you celebrate. Whatever just cherish your loved ones enjoy this time with them and uh for those of you uh, who are stuck making sure that we get to have those holidays whether it's working over those holidays or retail or getting stuck in any of these things that are involved with the holiday season so we can enjoy our holidays i'm grateful for the sacrifices you make and what you do for the community so thank you so much everyone just be safe especially with this crazy weather and enjoy your holidays thank you so much everyone we'll see you in two weeks